This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome once again inside the wheelhouse podcast. I am Mariners broadcaster Aaron Goldsmith, joined as always by Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto. Jerry, good to be with you, man. How are you? It's always good to be with you and and with me. But yeah, <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm well, doing exciting well. times in Mariners land. Uh, Gary Hill with us as always. Uh, Gary, we have. Had a lot of fun on the year, I would say, over the last month and a half or so. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. I think we've had a ton of fun. It has been quite a stretch, including this last series against Oakland, well, which uh, may have been peak fun. I think that's probably a good way to put it, peak fun against the A's. Uh, we are recording this just on the heels of the A's series, uh, going into the three-game set to wrap up the homestand against the Houston Astros. Jerry, your ball club is within arm's reach of the athletics. It was a thrilling four-game set against the A's. Uh, how much fun are you having uh, watching this team do what they do? It seems like every single series recently. I am definitely having peak fun. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I think over the last 11 series, we've we've won eight, uh, tied two, lost one. Uh, you can't really ask for more than that. And when we went into the offseason, 2020, headed into 2021, and we met with the media at season's end. This is what we talked about as, you know, if everything goes right, this is what it might look like in the second half of our season is, you know, we, we start to gel. We see young players improving. And and that's kind of what's happening. And and we thought we could be a very interesting team that, that could crawl up on the back end of the contenders. And lo and behold, we're doing that. And credit to our players. It's been a phenomenal journey, really. And, and especially these last, let's call it, 40, 45 days, the consistency with which we've played. I, I think we have the second best record in the American League to, to Houston, uh, who have been great. But uh, we've had the second best record in the league over the last 35 games or so. And 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 that's not in the American League, that's in the big leagues. And and we're the second youngest team in the in the American League, and we continue to watch you know players evolve. And some of the performances that we've we've seen over these last two months has been remarkable. And, and you can't be anything but excited. What I find most impressive too, it's not like everything has gone to script. Your team has had to overcome a lot in this season so far to be where they are. Yeah, I think part of what has been fun. I, I wish we didn't have to deal with the injuries yeah. because that's unfortunate, both. From a from a personal standpoint, with those who are down, guys like Evan and Kyle, and and I could go on and on, Mark and LJ mm -hmm. and and Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield, we've we've been missing a lot of players for a period of time, but 
watching this team overcome adversity to do the things they're doing, that's really valuable to our future. Because we all the players that I just mentioned, we believe that their current health issues aren't going to hamper their future. We are going to miss the developmental time that they're not getting right now. But what we have received instead is lessons that you just can't learn without going through them, which is how to battle through adversity, especially where we were, let's say at the end of May, when we had a lot of uh, injury concerns, we were dealing with a number of players on the COVID IL, uh, and we had to we had to overcome a couple of really lopsided series. And you know, it's a the, the result is I think our players are mentally stronger as a result. They're more resilient. Every team in baseball is built a little differently. Each team has kind of their own unique, in some ways, blueprint on how they win a big league ball game. When you look at this run the Mariners run right now, with what you're watching, what's the Mariners blueprint? How are they getting it done so often as they are? Well, the easy answer is chaos. <laughs> it's, we, we do great in the big moment, and uh, which I think a, a remarkable trait to have. And, and it's not just been one player repeatedly. It's been almost everybody on the roster rising up in the moment and, and, and doing great things. But like I talked about with the, the run we've been on over these last 40 or 45 days, in addition to being you know, the second best club in the league in terms of wins and losses, our pitching in general has been top five in, in baseball over that time. And, and I don't know that people would really associate our club that way. And it's some combination of you know, Chris Flexen, who I think has been awesome. It's Yusei Kikuchi, who's been you know, all-star first half. And Logan Gilbert, uh, in that time frame since June 13th, has been one of the five most valuable pitchers in the league, which is, you know, by by virtue of F4, uh, which is not something that anybody could have bet on, you know, based on uh, his his first couple of starts and the fact that he was a rookie trying to find his way into the big leagues. But he gelled very quickly and, and has pitched like every bit like an all-star. So those three starters and what has been incredible contribution from our bullpen uh, and and again not just one guy night after night but a host of, of contributions by the no-name bullpen that has pitched like a bunch of stars they really have and 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 that goes for you know Kendall and Paul Seawald Steckenrider and Shaggy I, I mean these guys have all been phenomenal in the country and Anthony Mischewitz over the last month and a half uh, who who has really kind of rebounded to do the things that he showed us he was capable of last year I feel like we've talked about the bullpen a lot, and we have not talked about the bullpen enough. It's been that kind of season for the pen. I think my favorite stat so far for the Mariners, you've beaten the A's now six times this year by a total of seven runs. And That's when you, how we rolled. I know. That's what I mean. It's so great. And, you know, it, to me, like the run differential conversation is really nuanced, and a lot of the conversation centers on the bullpen because as you watch these games play out, you see a couple things happen. The bullpen hangs zeros, and A, either allows the offense to do enough to come back and overcome a lead or hold on to a one-run lead. It's, and the A's are a perfect example because we've seen it play out time after time. Uh, that's right. And, you know, I also think that the nuance, somebody, actually, I'm, before I get into the nuance of, of run differential, somebody actually dropped this one on me today. We are the only team in Major League Baseball since 1901, since these records were tracked, through 100 games of a Major League season to have a run differential of 50 or greater 
and be eight games or more over 500. Nice. We're doing historic things. <laughs> so it is, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing position we find ourselves in. But I, I referenced earlier that the nuance of our run differential is that it was almost single-handedly accrued mm -hmm. during the month of May. And specifically through a very rough stretch for us when we lost three of our five starting pitchers, or at that time six starting pitchers, three of our six starting pitchers and virtually our whole bullpen for one reason or another. And we were forced to play really short through a, an extended period, about three, four weeks. And in and around that space, we had a lot of really lopsided losses, you know, particularly the San Diego series, which I think accounted for about 70% of our <laughs> run differential. And, and it got loud and it was uncomfortable and we had to wait for for healthy players to return, but ultimately they did. And we've been quite a normal team since then. We don't win blowouts, we win one run games, but that's part of the, the high variance of this team. We have a young team and it's a young team where we are not the same team as we were in April or May, both by virtue of who's on the roster and how far they've come in their development. So it's not crazy to, to think about how we got here if you think about all the contributing factors. It's still a weird looking number, but you know, it's a, it, there is a way of explaining it to, and, and making yourself feel better about the fact that, that, hey, it is possible that you can be good and have a negative 50 run differential because we, we know one's true and we believe the other is. How about Scott's role in all this? Scott feels like a very well-seasoned big league manager at this point. He had not managed, as we all know, before he came to the Mariners. But that is a long way in the rearview mirror. How about Scott's role from your eyes and what he has done so far with this ball club? I think he's been awesome. And, uh, you know, th this season in particular, but more in, in, if I go back through the years, how Scott has evolved and most especially how he's evolved in managing a game, especially managing the bullpen. This year might be you know, his, you know, his crowning achievement in how well he's managed our bullpen. There have been very few moments where you look down and we don't have the right guy up for the right moment and bringing the right guy in the game. And you know, truth be told, outside of creating the right environment and, and helping to develop a culture, the most important thing that a manager will do is not determine who's going to hit first or third, not determine when you're going to pinch hit for someone because that's a, a momentary thing. It's planning and orchestrating the moves that are going to happen with your pitching staff from the time that starter you know leaves the game. And I, and I don't know that you could do a better job than Scott's done this year. He's been phenomenal in that spot. I want to talk to you about Cal Raleigh. Since the last time we talked, Cal Raleigh is up and we've seen him hit a home run where Rarely do guys hit home runs. We've seen him handle the pitching staff. What have you seen so far from your young catcher? The most impressive thing about Cal, long homer aside, is how easy he has, I guess, acclimated to, to the pace of a major league game, particularly behind the plate. I think he's done a great job of working with our staff, of guiding them through tough moments in what have been really high-pressure, intense games. Yeah. And, and, uh, and he's done a great job with it. We've always believed in his ability to call a game, to receive the ball, to throw. You know, we knew the power was there. He is a patient hitter. You know, having a switch hitter with his kind with prodigious power, you saw what he's mm -hmm. capable of. And when Cal gets on hot streaks with his power, it's, it is notable. And, you know, he has the ability and has done it at, at the various levels in the minor leagues. When he gets into that hot power streak, he can carry and push a lineup. It's, uh, he's got that kind of skill. 
but I've been really impressed with how he's not let any of it affect him. Uh, and I can't say that's shocking when, once you've spent any time around Cal. He's, he's a mature kid who has a really good idea of, of who he is, how to interact in the environment. You know, and, and it helps that he grew up in a baseball family that, that really, you know, when he hit our clubhouse, it was not the, the first time he'd ever been in that type of environment. I, he's been terrific, and, and, I, and I could say a lot about what we thought he would be when he was coming through our system, and, he, and he's kind of making us feel like we were right. Yeah, his dad, a longtime a major college coach, including at Tennessee. Take us inside the baseball ops offices this time of year. We are approaching the trade deadline. Uh, the Mariners, man, you look at the needle of the spectrum over the last month of where people thought the Mariners would be at the deadline, and it basically goes uh, from one end to the extreme other. Uh, what's it like coming into work every day, uh, talking with those in, in your inner circle, in your department, and kind of brainstorming, uh, throwing out some ideas, bouncing it back and forth, and deciding what direction this team's going to go at the end of the month? We've always had an idea of what we wanted to do. And I think like most teams, you would like to approach the trade deadline. This is what I would call modern deadline thinking. You want to approach the deadline with balancing or finding the tender balance between the present and valuing the future. And we are in a really unique situation in that regard. We are incredibly young. We don't want to take away the, the reps that our young players are getting because it's hugely valuable to our future. We also don't want to, I guess, minimize the achievement of this team to date. You know, what they've been able to do in, in keeping us close and, and really surging into, into this playoff race as we near August is huge. And, you know, I feel like our team, our players, our community, you know, they deserve for us to invest in this team. And, you know, we've had a lot of those conversations over the course of the last couple of weeks, especially, and where previously we were of the mindset, hey, we'll, we'll toggle back and forth. If there's opportunity to add for now and for the future, we'll be attentive to that. We may find a way, even if it's a short-term ad, find a way to help this team improve if we can find the right trade partner. Trades aren't easy mm -hmm. to, to make, but if we can find the right trade partner, we'll do that thing. And you know, here this week, we are, we're coming out of the draft. This is so unique in, in, mm -hmm. in modern baseball. We're, we're coming out of the draft. We're headed right into the trade deadline. And somehow in between, I did not get my three days to just <laughs> take a breath. And, and uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to Saturday, I can tell you that. But it's been a really fun time, and I hope we have to make decisions like these every year for the rest of time because it's a lot of fun. Take us behind the curtain a little bit on how the mechanics of this works. When you talk to other teams, has this been an ongoing process, a month in the making, or is it get down to the deadline, you start just on the phone constantly calling, hey, what are you thinking now, that sort of thing? How does it work? You'll make social calls all year long mm -hmm. and just make sure you – it's building relationships. Mm -hmm. It's it's creating a flow. What you're trying to to get to as a, as a team, and we have a pretty good idea of what most of the other 29 teams are, are thinking or doing. Some play it a little closer to the vest than others, but uh, we generally have a sense for what they want to do. They know what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we are changing the narrative a little bit. You know, here this week based on on long-term conversations. You know, but the, behind the curtain, I've made a couple of calls just in the last 48 hours where you know, I, I introduced uh, the conversation as, bet you didn't think you were going to be having this conversation with me uh, you know, this, <laughs> at this you know, time in the calendar. But 
we want to be aware of what the team is telling us. And we spent two years, I, I believe, somewhere in this homestand, and it might be in the next day or so. You know, we are recording this after the Oakland series. It might be in the next day or so. We, were, we are going to achieve the two-year mark of actual games played during our rebuild. So, you know, we've been able to to achieve what we've achieved in our growth over the course of two baseball seasons, truly, with one of those seasons having no minor league play. And, you know, so we feel like we've done quite a bit and we know we have quite a bit more to do. And and uh, and I say that understanding that our position going in was it's all about what comes next for this mm -hmm. club. But this club is telling us, you know, maybe, you know, what comes next has already started. And, and we have to, you know, we, we have to get get on that super highway of, of supporting this club and, and giving them the, the, the resources to go be as good as they can be these last couple of months. From a fan's perspective, the series that the Mariners are just coming off of the four game series against the A's, it felt like this was the, the critical series to date this year, obviously. And a lot could be swayed if the Mariners dropped three of four, or as it turns out, they won three of four. As a department, as a general manager, do you look at it through that uh, intense of a lens that different decisions will be made by the difference of, let's say, two, diff two wins? Probably not, you know, and th that's only because of where we are as a team. You know, we only have a couple of pending free agents on our club. And this time of year, clubs that start to fall off the pace are generally looking to, to move pending free agents in favor of bringing on prospects who can be valuable as we move forward. You know, we only had you know, three pending free agents of, of some sort. At, at the start of the season. So it wasn't really a, 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 a thought in our minds that we would get to the trade deadline and it would be, you know, we would be hell-bent on, on selling off. We didn't really have that kind of team, you know. We may have done that if this were 2018 with the team we had in 18, but this, this isn't the 18 team, you know. This isn't the 19 team. This is a young team. We're, we're, we're very young. We don't have a lot of veteran players sprayed around the field. I know we've had a lot of focus on, you know, what will they do with Mitch Hanniger? We've never considered the, the, the option of moving Hanniger. This is, he fits for us. And we, we've thought that throughout. You know, we would have really had to go upside down for that to be a consideration for us. To, to suggest that our rebuild was going to require multiple more seasons, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, when we went into the A series, the general thought was this is going to be telling, but more telling how aggressively will we go out and look to buy. You know, if we lose three out of four, we probably don't get that aggressive. Uh, but winning three out of four gave us every opportunity to say it's time to invest in this club. You know, they deserve it. When you referenced a few moments ago how you have changed course slightly, potentially, on exploring the idea of a rental if the cost is one that you think is appropriate and that you would be willing to take. Was it as simple as winning three out of four games against the A's that brought on that change, or was it something else? I think we were building. You know, again, when you win eight out of eleven series, there is a building momentum with the club, and you know, part of our rebuild over the course of the last two plus seasons or two plus years. Part of our rebuild was that we did create a level of payroll flexibility that now in the event that we were able to line up in, in the, the market of short-term gain or rental, 
can we do that and just rely on payroll flexibility to do some of the heavy lifting so we don't have to tap into you know, our, our, the, the top end of our prospect mm -hmm. system? We've done so much work that we don't want to give that away. And you know, we've done so much good for the long term for the Mariners that we don't want to forsake it for a short term sprint. Uh, but you know, we're every day that goes by, our playoff odds increase. And that's something that these players have done. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, do you think the players in the clubhouse the, that, that they are thinking about, you know, will the front office invest in, invest in us? Do they want to? And I said, I, I can promise you that's what they're thinking. They, you know, they want the front office to, to help out. You know, I've been there. And, you know, when you work as hard as they've worked and, and you play as well as our group has played, you want a little help. And, and, and they, they, they deserve it. And we're going to try really everything that we can to, to make that happen without being irresponsible about the future of the organization. Yeah, we've, we enjoyed going into the A's series. You know, Scott was asked before game one, how big of a series this was. And Scott had the answer that all 29 other major league managers would have, which is every series is a big series. <laughs> and multiple players echoed almost verbatim the same sentiments. And then <laughs> at the end of the series, uh, Shannon on our flagship radio station, 710 ESPN Seattle, did a walk-off interview with Kyle Seeger. And Seeger said, yeah, you know, that was a big series. <laughs> and so uh, we're like, yes. Yes, it is, and it was, and now you can say that easier because it's over now, and now as we record this going into the Astros series, you know, Jerry, they're all big series. They all are. <laughs> this one's bigger, you know, and, and I think the, you know, this one is big. I, this one is not as big as the last one, and frankly, the series we just played with Oakland is the biggest series we've played in three years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it was a huge moment for us, and, and our players delivered. They came through, and and, you know, I, it's oftentimes in baseball, and I'm guilty of it as well. You know, the we in September, we can talk about what we believe we can be in the second half of 2021. And this is a, where we see our, our club going. And then you have to find a way to take the pressure off the group. You know, we're, we're building day by day. You, you come up with every nuclelouche cliche <laughs> that you can come up with. But what you're trying to do is ease the pressure so that we don't self destruct you know because we get so tightly wound going into these moments that we can't perform and that's natural I, I and I you'll, you'll always hear that so I will go right back into we we just played a huge series with Oakland they all matter you know every game matters <laughs> if they do a win's yeah, you, a win you mentioned that series against Oakland and as that series played out the atmosphere in the ballpark was phenomenal and especially coming off a year where it was a stale environment there was nobody in the ballpark. And then to have a series like that in the crowd, just as a baseball fan, how much did you enjoy the atmosphere in the park the last three days especially? It was amazing. And, and, and frankly, it has been this homestand and the homestand prior. I think our fans are getting into it. As the ballpark opened and we got back to full capacity this past weekend, we were seeing crowds north of 20,000, mm. 25,000 people, which after two years of our lives, not seeing that or feeling that electricity in the ballpark. The thing that, that I appreciate most about the, the environment, nobody left. I mean, at, at the start of the game, there, you could argue there were more fans sitting there at the end. And some of that is attributable to the fact that we have a tendency to come back and we do win one-run games and we do make it interesting in the end. And it was phenomenal to feel the, the vibration in the stadium and, and what that does to the players. 
Now you have to remember that that at least 30%, 40% of our roster has never played in front of crowds like they just played in yeah. front of this past weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never done it. They, 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 they missed a minor league season. They've never played in a big league ballpark that didn't have cardboard cutouts. This is a unique environment for many of the players on our roster. And frankly, the 2019 club was a, a 94 loss team that was in, a, in deep in a rebuild mode. So this is something really new for us to, to, for this team to experience and, and the city. You know, I, I think that what we have found, and I, at least in my time in Seattle, it doesn't take our fan base very long to really catch on when, when our team is doing something good. I, they did it in 2016. They did it in 2018. I know they did it in 2014 prior to my time here. And, and, and the, the, the community is doing it now. And, and, and it makes the players feel great. Uh, you know, when, when players are in the box and they hear fans chanting their name, when there's still 25,000 people soaking up seats, standing up in the ninth inning, and, you know, and when it takes you 45 minutes to move five feet in the garage when you move after the game. But it's, uh, it, those are, that's the happiest log jam I'll ever experience. You know, it, it's, it's great. And, and, and I think it's made it so much more fun. Well, Jerry, we'll transition into the draft and what took place during the All-Star air quotes break uh, for for you and uh, the rest of your department. Uh, we were curious if we would see yet another college arm be taken in the first round by the Mariners, something you've done the last three years prior, but a totally di- different direction this year for the Mariners, uh, going um, much heavier in the prep class, high school uh, talent. Uh, first of all, before we get into the nitty-gritty on, on some of the top players that you chose, take us in to the war room, kind of what was the overall approach and mindset going into the draft this year? Well, we did talk a lot about this year's strategy specifically, but you know, somebody, somebody in the league, a scouting director from another club uh, who shall remain unnamed, you know, sent a text message to Scott Hunter, and I know the the, the director well. Get a sent a, a text message to Scott Hunter and said, "Is Jerry locked in the closet?" <laughs> and I, no, you know, we have. You know, we have always maintained strategically that when we're in the top 100 picks, we're always trying to create some balance of risk versus reward, and we are always going to go for the highest upside talent that we can get. Somehow, and and this is an, another podcast podcast unto itself, I think. Somehow, people only associate upside with prepsters mm. rather than college players, and I, and I will say that. From 2016 with Kyle Lewis and 2017 with Evan White and 2018 with Logan Gilbert and 2019 with George Kirby, 2020 with Emerson Hancock, every one of those players has been a top 50 prospect in the industry at one time or another. And almost all of them, not including the rookie of the year, have been inside the top 20 at some point. And, you know, we've actually taken upside players. We just did it through the college ranks. This year we went in and realized that we had a unique opportunity because we've, we've done a nice job, in my estimation, filling in our system, particularly building up the pitching and sometimes finding pitching from atypical places further down in the draft. And, you know, we've done really well with our top picks. We've also done a really nice job as a scouting staff in, in really building value throughout the draft with some of the pitching we found, you know, guys from the third round and the eighth round to the 11th and 25th round, you know, we, we've done a very nice job. 
So we thought with a, the second youngest team in the, in the league at the big league level, with a system that has generally started to, to fill at the A, double A levels, and we feel like everybody's starting to push up, we could go start the next wave at the bottom in what we thought was a particularly exciting high school class. And you know, so it wasn't naturally about, oh, now the Mariners decided to take upside. We actually have always taken upside. And whether you believe that that's true or not, we, we have. This year, we viewed it as we're going to build the next wave. So we were very focused on what we thought the best part of this draft was, which was interesting, athletic, versatile high school players that that were they, they attracted us from the get-go. And we spent a lot of our spring dialed in on those players, and we weren't present for a lot of the Friday night pitchers that we usually are there to see every time because we thought this was the best part of this draft. When you look at this draft, and probably last year's draft as well, I always think the draft is really challenging, maybe the most challenging thing in sports even in normal times. But then you add everything that was going on between guys having development uh, hampered because of the situation, maybe not getting as much looks as you'd want at certain guys. How challenging was this draft? This one was not as challenging as last year's okay. draft. And I think we learned we learned so much last year about how to manage the draft pool remotely uh, that that it really enhanced our draft management skills for this year. You know what we were able to do electronically. You know, Carrie Escobedo and our IT staff did an unbelievable job in modernizing our draft room, particularly in what we were doing electronically. Uh, they they just upgraded everything we were doing. So. You know, we didn't have our area scouts uh, attend this year, where ordinarily we would have regional meetings where the scouts come through and talk about players. We were able to do that electronically. You know, We were able to use modern technology in a really positive way. And we did a ton of video scouting where we might not have the access to, like let's say for instance, the Carolinas opened up. They, they didn't really open their, their high school season until late May, June, which is a very unusual thing. By then, the draft is typically done. Mm -hmm. You know, now we are just getting started with some of these players in the Carolinas. Where we really felt the loss was not having all of the summer work last year, particularly with the college players. So, you know, a lot of those factors contributed to a, a reliance on technology this year, much more so than ever before. But last year's draft really trained us to be able to do that more efficiently. And, you know, I, I honestly, I think we did a wonderful job as a, as a scouting operation and from beginning to end, making sure we had as, as thorough a, a dossier of information on every player as we possibly could. And I didn't feel like this year was at loss at all. I think it was the best execution we've, we've had in my six years here. You know, you mentioned the draft and the timing with the deadline. How was the timing of the draft? How did it change your calendar and how everything works for the front office. It personally crushed me. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, truly it was, uh, you know, the three day all-star break, just like the players, they get a, a physical reset. Mm -hmm. We in the, the front office of baseball operations, it gives us a, a mental reset, just a, a chance to, to tune out for a couple of days. Like the, maybe the week of Christmas, and I don't even say week, Christmas day is, is probably the only other time of the year where we're off, where mm -hmm. we're down. 
uh, throughout, and, and, and as we have shown you, Thanksgiving, not yeah, a, right. you know, <laughs> uh, you know we, we have, we are generally on all the time and it's, it's, it's roughly a 16, 18 hour day for us in one way, shape or form. Mm. And, you know, those three days in the all-star break, it's kind of the unwritten rule. When we get into the break, everybody just leaves the other alone. And mm. uh, this year that didn't happen. So we just went from a steady stream of, you know, real draft meetings to, to, to actual draft, to trade deadline discussions now, to actual trade deadline. And in between, there was no break. And, and uh, I, I do think that, that we'll be looking forward to you know, something of a blow in August. But even then, I don't know how the, the interaction will exist around baseball. You know, we're still going to have to stay tuned in. You know, it's not right. like we can just stick our head in the sand for 72 hours. Games are happening. Tell us about your number one overall pick, Harry Ford. I think he's a stud. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's really good. And I, and I could say the same about, you know, so many of the young players we had a chance to meet. But Harry is well put together, both physically and mentally. He's got all of the tools that you want to see in a player. He's an above-average runner. He's an above-average throw. He's an above-average power. He's an above-average defender. And, and he's an incredible athlete, just generally speaking. He also happens to be really built out from a from an emotional standpoint, and his he is very intelligent. He's aware. He fits our model. You know, we we have we have become very good at finding players that fit the Mariners' model, and by that I mean players who we feel like will really thrive in our developmental system. As you know, we're we're pretty information centric. Uh, in our minor league system, we do rely on on a lot of advanced teaching tools. And we tend to gravitate toward players who we think will do well with that. And, and we think Harry's one of them. Uh, and really thrilled to, to have him on board. Can't wait to see what he does when we get him down to Arizona. And I think our Modesto lineup to start 2022 is going to be some kind of fun to watch. Now, when he was drafted, I mean, he's, he's a catcher. But all of the national media uh, who covered the draft were talking about how great of an athlete he is and how he could be a second baseman or a center fielder. Where, where do you see him long-term? We think he's a catcher. And, uh, you know, I know he was announced on draft day as a catcher outfielder. That wasn't necessarily our doing. That's just the way he was input to the system. But, you know, with with Harry, it's it's very hard when you have the this unusual skill set that on paper looks like a center fielder, you know? It's, he has 70 raw power, it's a 60-65 runner, he's a 60 arm, and, and when you start filling that out, those aren't usually numbers, and it's a, on the, the, the athlete level, it's excellent to elite. You don't usually see those words or numbers on scouting reports for a catcher, and, and, I, and I don't mean to, to, to diminish the athleticism that, that catchers have, you usually see that with shortstops and center fielders. So it's easier to, to, to look at Harry and categorize him. Oh, he's going to be an impact middle of the field player. We think he's a catcher. He's been catching since he was nine years old. He can catch, he can throw. And if you take his potential for impact and put it behind the plate, that's, that's really hard to walk away from. That's a very special skill set for, for that position. And we, we don't really think it's a question. We think he's going to play that position. I was looking at uh, some of his workout videos. Any way we could get Aaron to try some of those box jumps that yeah. he was, uh, I'm a, I'm he was a, doing? Gary, Gary can test. I'm, I'm a big box jump <laughs> There's a, It looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen you in the gym. <laughs> There's a, you know, I, I, think, I think with Harry, the, 
the only thing that impressed us more than the obvious, which is the, the, the baseball tools to play and, and the emotional preparedness for the, the, the baseball journey is the work ethic is off the charts. And, you know, he is very interested in physical fitness and, and nutrition, diet and nutrition, not your common 18 year old, you know, focus. And, and I, I, it reminds me so much of the, the focus that a lot of the young guys in our system have. And, and again, I think, you know, when you talk about our system and you talk about guys like, like Logan Gilbert or like Kyle Lewis and like Jared Kelnick and, and the Harry's mentality is going to fit in so well. And I think he'll feed off of what the, 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 the older players in our system. And I say that the 22 and 24 year olds will, will, will show him. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect fit. Abel, we uh, go over the second and third round picks as well. Edwin Arroyo, a very very young shortstop from Puerto Rico, and Michael Morales, a right-handed high school starter from Pennsylvania. Uh, tell us about those two guys. Uh, I think Edwin was either the youngest or second youngest player in this draft. History shines well on the 17-year-old the draftee that actually has real tools to, to play. They oftentimes become the, the player who grows at a faster rate on the top end than, than many others. And you, know, it, you think about it, Edwin was playing high school baseball against players because of the COVID setback against, against players that were oftentimes you know, at least one and often two years older than he was, which is not common. Uh, he came over by way of Puerto Rico and, and went to, to high school in Florida. Obviously, we've had our eye on him for quite some time, dating back to last summer. Switch hitter. He also is, happens to be a switch thrower, which is, I don't, I don't know if it's ever going to be usable at shortstop, but it's going to be awesome for party games. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, he's a, an above to well above average runner. And we thought from a defensive skills perspective, might be the best upside defensive player in this draft period no matter the position we thought he was slam dunk shortstop real shortstop skills he's a switch hitter who we think is going to grow into power who showed it to us frankly in his workout here at t-mobile and he's a wonderful kid also scores very highly in in terms of his intellect you've talked to him he's he's so aware he's very sharp again a player we think is going to fit quite well into our development system and Morales, uh, best head of hair in the draft? How it do you is. feel about uh, this? You know, I, I, I mentioned to you when, when when we were signing contracts and going through the, you know, the, the the photo shoot and the meet with the media, somebody asked Michael if he had any interest in putting a hat on to when he was physically signing his first professional contract. And I, and I held up my hand and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Would you cover that magnificence? <laughs> He has a, he, he does. Mike's got a, he's got a good face. He has a wonderful head of hair. It's, it, can you say any more? But Jerry, very talented all kid. the boxes. The Aaron Goldsmith scouting I'm system. I'm telling you, Jerry. He, he also happens to be incredibly intelligent. We, we, I mean, that helps too. I like uh, that. We, I'm, we, I'm not, some, I don't want to downplay the intelligence. <laughs> we okay. pulled him away from Vanderbilt. So, you know, yeah, he was. That's it, a thing, man. It, it is a thing. And, and I, I think that when I could say the same thing, Harry, George Tech, and, and it was Florida State for Edwin. But the, you know, with, with Mike, he comes to us so dialed in to advanced pitching. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 
the modern pitching, the numbers that, that, that are out there in third party, and he goes even a step further. He is way into the biomechanics. He is way into a lot of the metrics that we're trying to teach our, our youngest pitchers or even guys in the big leagues. He's already you know, locked in. And we joked around that he's going to – Max Wiener, our minor league pitching coordinator, or Trent Blank, our pitching strategy director, you know, and big league bullpen coach that he, Mike's going to wind up rooming with one of them and just talking through the night about pitching metrics but thrilled to have all three I think Scott Hunter his his draft approach I think I think he and I are like we're the same guy draft the best looking guys I mean, with the just, most magnificent head of hair you, possible when you close your eyes and you think of them you go is he gonna is he gonna be on a billboard is he gonna be on a float going in a parade downtown like and then Yes, yes, he will be. That is what they look like. This is back in the in the eighties. The the Yankees through and they were in the midst of collecting the talent that ultimately went on to create what was a dynasty. You know, there that I'm not sure ever gets the love that it. You know, that the the 1998 team that won 220, you know, or 126 games or whatever it was, on the way to the World Series championship, all the titles, a lot of homegrown players that became staples in New York. And, and, and their scouting people, they, they, they often talked about the idea that how you determine whether you are comfortable on draft day is when we walk out to that line and you're standing, and, and, and you're standing there on opening day to tip your cap, do you, the scout, want to go stand next to him and say, yeah, this is my guy? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how we're rolling with it. That's it. Yeah, I'm that's, I mean, there is no foolproof draft strategy. It's impossible. There is no rock solid lock, but this is pretty good. I would love for a team to give Aaron a shot at running give a draft. Keys, I'd prefer it not be the Mariners. <laughs> I'd prefer it be somebody else. Yes. But I'd like to see yeah, him get a I, shot. I don't want to be the Mariners because I think Scott's a great guy, and he's doing obviously. I I agree with the work he's doing. I don't want to rob him of employment, right? Or peppermints. Oh, I heard he's just crushing the peppermints. No, the peppermints are they're like they're the bowl is hit. Like, and we're talking. Like, you go to the family neighborhood restaurant, like the ones that are the candy cane circles. Yeah, on the, are, the, in the bowl yeah, as you're exiting. Yeah, like the little clear plastic. Like, he's just hammering these. Wearing them out. And, and then apparently for the rest of the year, he just sits in a dentist chair until we start <laughs> next year's draft meetings. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think Scott's doing marvelous work. I do, too. Let's get to a pretty great Stump J.D., Pretty great. Now, J Gary, should I tell him what yes. happened? Should I tell him? Yes, you should. Okay. I asked Gary, my stump JD. Gary kind of got it on the first guess within 30 seconds. Wow. The only reason I say kind of is because he said, well, it can't be. And then he said the player's name. And then he gave a reason why he thought it couldn't be. And I was so amazed. I said, yes, it can. You got it right. I didn't want him to you know, go into a rabbit's hole. So, so I kind of got it. I think he kind of got kinda. it. Kind of. Yeah. This is a this pass. puts a lot of pressure on I know. I know. Stump JD yeah. is a pass-fail test, so I don't know where Gary falls on that spectrum. <laughs> the kind of pass. Yeah, the kind of yeah. pass. All right. Jerry, tell me the first batter in Major League history to hit 100 home runs for three different franchises. 100 home runs. For three different franchises. Wow. That's a great question. Yeah. 100 home runs for three different franchises. 
Derry had it by now. Just for <laughs> he did. Yeah. Like he. Well, I mean, he half had it. One hundred home runs, three different franchises. I'm gonna go with Reggie Jackson. Oh, ho, Jerry! Nice. Now I think it took Jerry longer, but he definitively but guessed he it. Was definitive. I think I the, wasn't sure about the Angels. I was like, I don't know oh, if he, he got two hundred. Yes, led so, yeah. the league with the Angels one yeah. year. Yeah, it was there long enough. Yeah, Jerry, you're back, baby. You're back. You I was need time. rest. <laughs> What's this? I need rest of the All Star break. You're fresh. You drilled it. <laughs> I feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will wrap up the show, as always, with a really fun uh, listener question. This comes in from uh, Eric Sorensen, and he wants to know, Jerry, during big games, big moments, and certainly the Mariners have had plenty of those recently, are, are, you, are you Brad Pitt from Moneyball? Are you uh, in the weight room uh, listening to the radio? Are you, you crushing the elliptical? Are you at... In the ballpark, you in the suite, are you at home, uh, in a recliner? Like, how are you taking in all these moments in recent time for the Mariners? So, home games, I'm always sitting upstairs watching the game from, from our seats in the, in the baseball op suite. And, you know, I'll sit with Justin uh, Hollander and, and bounce ideas off each other. You know, I, I generally observe what's happening in the game. When we really need wins, Tammy, my wife, comes. Uh, oh, really? She's she, So when we see Tammy in the ballpark, it's like... As you Jerry, would have seen her Friday, Jerry, Saturday, Jerry, and Sunday. Yeah. Jerry was a little tight. Yeah. <laughs> so I, she, no, she's, she loves to come, especially on the weekends. And she's undefeated this year, which she's proud of. Wow, uh, really? So it, we, are on a, we are on a steady roll of her coming. And, you know, as she, she says to, to Jack, I'll be here tomorrow. So, you know, <laughs> make sure we have the ticket. Uh, but watch all the, the home games from the suite. In years past, I've frequently traveled with the team and do the same, you know, watch from whatever, you know, seat they provide for baseball ops. Since COVID, I've not traveled with the team for a variety of reasons. Uh, we're going to start doing that again here in the second half now that the world is, is a little more open than it has been. And, and that, that I guess we, we are we, we feel like it's a, a safer thing to do uh, in general is travel with a little bit bigger group. But to this point, you know, I am I am. I wouldn't call it Brad Pitt, but I, I do have an elliptical and a treadmill at home. And I will, when, when the team is playing on the road, I will turn the game on and I will hop on that, that elliptical or treadmill and just pound away while, they are, while they're playing. And, and typically the length of my workout is defined by how well the game is going as, as baseball goes. I, there's, and I will, I, I will tell you, I'll, I'll flash back. I don't know if you recall this, but just prior to the trade deadline in 2016, uh, Wade Miley was pitching in Chicago versus the Cubs and magically was twirling what was, at that point was the best game that he had ever pitched for the Mariners. And I, and I refused to, to stop running while this was going on. And, and, and I, he had a no-hitter into the, what I believe was into the sixth inning, and I was running for six innings. And I, and I thought, my God, give up a hit, man. But there was a, you know, you, you find a way to, to ease the tension, whether that is, you know, just generally talking with, you know, with Justin, with Tammy, you know, running, finding some way to, to burn the energy. You know, I also generally think I've, I've watched enough of them through the years that I try not to get too high or too low. Uh, and, and I've blown enough of them personally that, that I try not to get too judgy in the moment. I know the game's hard. Do you ever eat? Like, especially with, oh, yeah. with the team. I mean, the team is, we got some funky first pitch times locally with the team uh, being gone. Now, I say that like this hasn't happened before, but we're just now experiencing it as broadcasters for the first time since we're not traveling. Uh, but, I mean, do, do we 
Do we have you snacker during the game if it's at the wrong time of night, early in the evening? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll hit us. You know, we've got we, – we, we have dinner up in the suite. Typically, we'll eat around 6 o'clock, you know, with the game starting around 7.05. So, start eating around 6 o'clock, generally just chatter. And then throughout the game, you know, I have – there, there are certain things I like to snack on. We have like a vegetable tray, some oh, hummus, on, you know. No, olive oil cake. Yeah, those are my things. Come those on, are my man. things. Can yeah. we just crush something nasty? There's, that's not just my some, thing. Oh, just, just a thing. Yeah. Just one thing. Like, are there, you know. You won't like the things that I think are things. They're yeah. not things. Yeah. That's why I don't like them. <laughs> but, you know, whatever makes you feel comfortable, there. Jerry. I, I'm happy for you. And we'll, we'll sneak in, I don't know. Like some beef jerky or something. Is that a is that a compromise? That's not a th it's not a thing for me. But it's not the hummus thing. is a thing. You know, I I, I like hummus. Oh, so do I. Yeah. But I mean, I'll have an oatmeal cookie. I'm in <laughs> on the oatmeal cookie. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it's, I'm just. I told you you wouldn't like it. So. <laughs> oatmeal cookie is a compromise. Rice pudding. I'm, rice pudding. Yeah, I find that to be a treat. There's no rice pudding in the ballpark. Don't just, tell me that you have rice pudding in the ballpark. On a given day, you, we you can make requests. Well, you can make requests. We have wonderful chefs. <laughs> I don't know if I can. Uh, Jerry, uh, all uh, food uh, disagreement aside, thank you for this. This has been a lot of fun, as it always is. Great times for the Mariners. And you, you're a busy man, so we are especially grateful you can carve out some time for us. I'm glad to do it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.